Tell me about the power of science, baby. Hi, I'm Annie, and my pronouns are she and her. And I'm Rose, and my pronouns are she and her. And we're here to provide some context about the bisexual experience by sharing stories, getting advice, and talking about queer people we like. What are we going to talk about today, Annie? Today, we're talking about science. <sighs> Sweet. Love, yeah. love science. I have to say that this episode is kind of made for one person in particular. <laughs> oh, for in your life? In your life as well. Oh, our um, our mutual request. I thought you were like shouting someone out, like dissing them, like they need to hear this episode. Well, I think that's the other thing. Although we are making this for one person in particular, I think everyone has someone in their life, whether it's like a parent or a relative or like a friend of your, it's usually a little older person. Maybe not, I don't know, maybe it's someone your age or like someone from your church. Just like someone who is pretty, pretty uh, obstinate that bisexuality and perhaps other queer identities are made up. <laughs> or unnatural. Yes. They, they like that one too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, because the gay agenda has gotten all the queer folk and uh, aligned them to live this lie, which even if that were true, that doesn't seem to hurt anybody. It seems crazy that would that there would be so many people from so many different places around the world who all happen to do this automatically. But it, even if it were some kind of faked... Illuminati event, spread. <laughs> it's like, doesn't hurt anyone. It's not bothering you. Yeah, I mean, we're definitely not going to talk about the like, membership induction into the secret gay society because, right. you, you, listeners, you've already experienced it. Yeah. We've all yeah. experienced it. So, you know, and it's no need. It's so complicated. I mean, you know, it's like the choreography the, is the choreography is outstanding. Nuts. Yeah. Yeah. You're talking about right? Because doesn't yeah. need this in the negative way. <laughs> wants this no, no, no. in a way that they love uh, data sets. Yeah. And it's also helpful to like if you are in a conversation with this person who doesn't believe in queer identities or thinks that they are unnatural these are some really good uh talking points to to bring up if you feel like engaging in that kind of conversation yeah. with them hopefully it's a conversation <laughs> yeah because like if, if you know this person you know that you probably will not be able to change <laughs> their mind no matter what you say but like maybe someone who is eavesdropping on your conversation will learn something <laughs> and i don't mean to just point I don't mean to point out like older conservatives in particular because I do think there's a lot of people within the queer community who are also like bisexuals are just gays in disguise or are just straight people who want to be queer. So um, you can also use this information with them too. Yeah. I was really curious because to me sexual attraction is like impossible to quantify because it's so many things mm -hmm. so i was looking up ways that scientists measure sexual attraction i found that they use everything from interviews which is what kinsey did in his study which is just like do you find this person attractive yes or no 
Hmm. <laughs> or mm-hmm. tell me your sexual history and kind of gathering data from interviews. Problem with that is, you know, there's a cultural incentive to maybe not tell the truth. Lie. Sometimes. People love to lie. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so some more like biological ways of studying sexual attraction uh, are measuring people's heart rates to see if their heart rate increases when they're shown pictures or when they interact with another person. Um, Genital stimulation. Are person's genitals stimulated when they interact with another person? Brain scans, what areas of the brain light up? Uh, Eye movement, do eyes, yes. I was gonna say, (laughs) question. Um, Genital stimulation is like an interesting phrase because it sounds like like stimulation to me is such a like a, a thing acting upon an object so like yeah. i feel like that should be like genital reaction almost like reaction like yeah. do you, does it swell or <laughs> uh secrete some lubricant of some sort yeah you're right yeah. reaction is probably a better yeah like stimulated just i'm sure that's what the term that they're using for it but it's like it's just interesting. Yeah, I almost didn't include that one because I was like, I don't think I can say this. You got it. You d- you didn't even <laughs> hesitate. You went right for that genital stimulation. I always do. Mm-hmm. Um, and then eye movement, which is like, do a person's eyes fixate on, and this is what it's referred to in studies, areas of interest. Mm. Uh, so if your eyes just naturally go to someone's like balls sexual features (laughs) oh genitals excuse me no (laughs) no is that just me (laughs) so that's kind of how scientists have have measured sexual attraction i also found a literature review of studies of sexual attraction that basically said oftentimes the terms that are used in relation to sexual attractiveness are too ambiguous um, and there's no standardized measure or, or there's no standardized measure of perceptions of sexual attraction so single item measures are commonly used to assess a person's perceptions of their or other people's sexual attractiveness and few studies provide a psychometric evaluation of the measures used so there kind of needs to be a more standardized way to measure yeah, and sexual attraction. For those who don't know, a lit review is basically like saying, let's look at all the research out there that talks about sexual attraction and how do they talk about it? What questions are they asking? What gaps still exist? And if you aren't, if you aren't using at least like relatable measures of attraction then you could be talking totally different languages like and a lot of science has that problem but usually there's at least like a common like baseline that you're asking and it sounds like sexual attraction doesn't even have that like a shared definition of what it means and part of the oh hey you have a little (laughs) kitty friend you have something to say (laughs) <laughs> can you hear him purring no he's doing the he's at the perfectly low decibel to not be heard ah maybe he's, I don't he's know. being very polite yeah he's very good it's a great point it's part of the problem is that our ideas of sexual attractiveness vary from person to person and culture to culture and there are a lot of like subconscious factors that we really can't measure like people's scents and pheromones that supposedly play a huge part in sexual attraction and like 
perceived fertility is another thing that's like super subconscious that apparently plays a huge factor other shit like how they dress you know what we perceive their identity to be or their personality to be based on how they're presenting to us Mm -hmm. there's so many factors that makes like also i feel like you can be more attracted to people depending on like as a as a person who ovulates like if i'm ovulating i'm like god like horny yeah so i'm like probably way more gonna be like yeah that person's pretty hot i don't know like i don't know why i find them attractive right now versus like the week before and the week after i might be like ew (laughs) yes So studying bisexuality is is tricky like that because, you know, everyone's standards for attraction vary and our ways of expressing attraction. Uh, But we know it exists because we have studied it and we've found that people are attracted to both sexes or a certain large number of the population is attracted to both sexes. And we also know it because we're out here living it Mm -hmm. and experiencing it. And in this house, we acknowledge that our feelings are valid. <laughs> All our feelings are valid. But we also know it's, it exists because it exists in countless other species on the planet. Um, there's like members of each, what's the phylum? I was going to say phylum, <laughs> genus, species. <laughs> that, have, that experience bisexuality. Um, and... The cool thing about the animal kingdom experiencing bisexuality is they don't have all our social hang-ups about it. It's not like they're lying. It's a much more cut-and-dry way of studying bisexuality by just going out in nature and observing it. Mm-hmm. Um, scientists have observed other species having sex with members of both sexes uh, in bonobos, penguins, scarab beetles... Japanese macaques, baboons, swans, fruit flies, koalas. Over 1,500 animal species have been observed having both same sex and opposite sex sex. And there's there's one of the scientists who did a big study on bisexuality and homosexuality in the animal world has this great quote. Uh, He says, unlike most humans, individual animals generally cannot be classified as gay or straight. An animal that engages in same-sex flirtation or partnership does not necessarily shun heterosexual encounters. Rather, many species seem to to have ingrained homosexual tendencies that are a regular part of their society. That is, there are no strictly gay critters, just bisexual ones. Um, Animals don't do sexual identity, they just do sex. I think I would petition that we should call them binobos and penguins. Penguins. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's an opportunity here. Fruit buys. I mean, fruit buys. We should definitely make one of these species our mascot. Yeah. For this show. Vote uh, at us and tell us which. Yeah. Which species should be our show mascot? Um, also. So another study I read found that just an interesting observation, but it it seems like uh, animal species in captivity are more likely to engage in bisexual or homosexual behavior, um, perhaps because of increased stress. They need a way to kind of 
alleviate their stress. Okay. So they're just like, that. I mean, that's to say that like, yes, bisexuality happens out in nature. It also happens in captivity. Mm-hmm. Perhaps at increased rates. So if anything, we are making <laughs> animals more by. <laughs> We're out here like do it more. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So I think at this point, you know, if you're talking to this person who doesn't believe that bisexuality is normal or natural, uh, they might hopefully come to see that maybe that's an unfounded claim. But if they don't come around to that, for some reason. Um, Put them in captivity and see (laughs) if they engage in bisexual behavior. They might not be interested in a rational argument at all. Um, They might say something like, well, humans are different than animals. God made us different than the bees. And uh, that's just a great time to point out that we only have a 1.5% difference in DNA than bonobos, known bisexual animals. (laughs) So, like, we're not that different, actually. We are very similar. Yeah, if we're talking about biological behavior. Why would God make so many creatures bisexual and make us somehow not? Especially when it doesn't hurt anyone. Yeah. It just doesn't compute. Or maybe maybe God made all of the other beasts bisexual so that, like, yeah, it's like what makes the male-female the better of the options it's just uh, because it involves procreation like there's a lot of downsides to procreation (laughs) a lot so yeah this is another thing that i was talking i mean this is totally off topic it has nothing to do with science Mm -hmm. but i was talking about and like there seems to be with with people who are more conservative uh there seems to be like a mindset that if you're not struggling then you're not being the best version of yourself so like the whole conservative mindset is like pull yourself up from your bootstraps um and that really makes sense with why conservatives are maybe more um opposed to gay people and bisexuals and queer people in general because like procreation is so much work and having kids is so much work and if you're I mean, there's plenty of gay parents out there, right? And there's plenty of queer parents. But, like, if your lifestyle is not necessarily one that is focused on having kids, then, like, you're not struggling with that. And, like, you're not going through the the trial of parenthood. You're not going to accidentally find yourself going through the struggle of parenthood. You're going to make a conscious choice that takes a lot of effort and preparation and um, time. And you're going to make like, oh, you're going to struggle to do that process. But it's like (laughs) a choice struggle. I feel like a lot of I feel like you're very right that the conservative mindset is like the unexpected, like the challenges you didn't see God was going to give you. Um, And it's like, oh, right. But like, what about the challenges that I opted into myself? Like, are those not valid challenges? Yeah. So I don't know. Yeah, exactly. There's just like something there where I'm like, oh, okay. I kind of see why that's a, a part of it. Sticking point for that ideology anyways that's all i wanted to say about 
science and the science of bisexuality, it, it is studied. It is very difficult to study because there's no universal way of measuring sexual attraction that goes for straight people too. Um, despite that, despite how hard it is to study, we have studied it. We've found a dozen different ways to study it and we've studied it in the much more like clean cut animal world. So we're out there doing science. Yeah. And as far as like what actually exists out there right now, I was curious. So I did a little by the numbers Mm -hmm. search. Um, So this was a search of the ProQuest database, which is for like academic journals, etc. I did a search first for if uh, articles included the word gay or lesbian, but not bisexual. And I got 356,923 results. Of those, about 77,000, a little bit more than 77,000 are peer-reviewed. So for those of you who don't know, peer-reviewed means that your academic or scientific peers have reviewed your article and your findings and said either like, yes, agreed, this makes sense, or like, no, this person has a sample size of two people, them and <laughs> their lab partner. That doesn't make any sense. So it's kind of like a an internal and scientifically accepted like validity check. If I just searched the term bisexual, so as a reminder, gay and lesbian, but not the word bisexual, about 357,000 results. Bisexual included in any part, 57,340 results, so much lower. If uh, it was bisexual, but it didn't include the word lesbian or gay, so specific to bisexual people, not kind of LGBTQ, there was 6,731 results. And then of those, the ones that were peer-reviewed, there was 3,175. So about 4% of the amount that appeared for lesbian and gay, even though we make up half of the community. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah. So not to say that I'm not like appreciative of those just over 3000. And like, I'm certain it's the lesbian and gay. If you broke that down, I'm sure that's included as like all homosexual activity. And we would benefit from breaking out all of those categories and exploring overlapping identities. (laughs) Um, What are the health implications for being a gay Hispanic man who lives in Texas and is college educated? I want, I want to know that. Um, Yeah. Lots of people want to know that. And there's a lot of, you know, queer Texan Hispanic men. Who are college educated. Out here. There's a lot. We got to know what what they want. What they need. Seriously, like having having valid research and uh, a large data set is super important. Um, particularly to the people who are out here handing out money and services. They really love data and saying like, personally, I see that, you know, if a homeless shelter says... We service a lot of LGBTQ youth and you say, okay, what percentage of your 16 year olds identify as queer? And they're like, I don't know. It feels like it feels like a lot, though. That's not great. But if they can say it's 63.5 percent 
they if they can show numbers, that's valuable. But we have a lack of like, at least in the United States, this is the easiest information for me to find, especially because the census is live right now. Um, we don't have that kind of information beyond a state level or study specific um, data set. So that's like really small sample sizes. They're not done regularly. Um, and it's really difficult to draw conclusions about the LGBTQ population overall, let alone like a global sense or being able to compare country to country because that's just the example in our country, but lots of other countries are also not collecting this information. I read a really great article from Neil MacArthur uh, in Vice from back in 2017 talking about the importance of why the queer community should be included in the U.S. Census. Currently, it doesn't include any questions about gender identity or sexual orientation. There was a consideration that it may be included in the 2020 Census. Of course, once Trump was elected, that was off the table. And that, I mean, that sucks because when when we're, as queer people, asking our president, like, why aren't there more services for us? He can say, well, we don't have any data that you exist, so sorry. Like, we don't need to. Yeah. Because you're not out there. Show us the All need. Our- yeah, like, collecting it would provide not only for researchers, but also for many other populations, including the president a publicly available countrywide data set. Having this accurate data allows us to better understand the demographics of our population. So things that are both related to identity, um, race, religion, age, and also circumstance. So income levels, education levels, disability rates. Um, For example, like we know that the LGBTQ population is faced with higher levels of poverty, addiction, mental health issues, and homelessness. But if we don't have a large data set, we can't be like, that is X number of Americans who are struggling. So these are useful, like some of the populations who this is useful for besides kind of everyone. Um, People who are funding research. Without a baseline of data, grant applications are pretty empty. You're often required when applying for a grant to show the gap or the research need that you're going to fill And without that, you're basically saying, like, I don't know. We're still trying to figure out if these people are out here and if so, in what numbers. And most grant funders aren't like, ooh, getting that baseline data is really sexy. That's what we want to pay for. So a nationwide survey could really support this baseline data so you can drill down into more focused areas. Once you have funding and rudimentary data, researchers can better identify root causes of the different areas that have a higher impact among the LGBTQ population. So like, why are queer people struggling more with mental health? We can philosophize and hypothesize about that. But until you can say like, we want to find out if it's because of this and test it, you can't. After you've identified root causes, you're also able to try to identify and test comprehensive effective interventions and preventative practices. So if a queer person is already experiencing mental distress, what works to get them support? Right. Because it might be different than what helps straight populations. Yeah. Um, 
And again, even within that, going further into overlapping identities, what's going to help? Is it different between a bisexual man and a bisexual woman or a trans person versus a cis person? Certainly all of these areas need to be explored so that we can save lives. Also, this data is useful for advocates so they can accurately represent the problem that exists to funders, politicians, community members, policymakers. Once policymakers have that kind of data, they can better understand how to serve their constituents and the benefit of serving those communities. Because if we have the numbers, we can say, we have this many votes for you if you promise and prove that you're going to do good things for us. And also, like, we are in a capitalist society. If we can show how many numbers we have, we have buying power. Yeah. So, like, even if people don't care about the humanity of us, we are votes and we are dollars. I mean, hopefully people are... I've I've found that in the past few years, people have been moving away, at least in my circles, from, like, individual action to collective action. Yes, it's fine to use fewer plastic bags but what you really need to do is go out and protest that our government ain't doing shit about global warming Mm -hmm. (laughs) because you as a person can only do so much this is part of that right like this is collective action if you fill out the census and then your lawmaker knows that there are so many queer people living in their district you can organize and be like listen there are a hundred thousand of us in your district that's 100,000 votes you're going to lose unless you help us out. It's very powerful. I, I, hope, I hope people are realizing that. It's very powerful to have large numbers of people doing the same thing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And having a number for that large number of people who exist out there, because unfortunately right now we do need to do like collective action, like signing petitions and coming out to protest. But having a data set that's like, okay, you've been at the very least ignoring, if not fucking over, a huge segment of your constituency um, is a starting point to like bring that person over um, to taking better action. Also, having this type of information allows us to just kind of like, in addition to exploring the demographics of our population, how different intersecting identities have impact also, like, what systemic barriers are exist in existence and what interventions are currently working and what do we need to, like, resolve? So are homelessness shelters preventing homelessness? No. Right. Like, there, there are people who sometimes it's like, well, this is the service we're providing. And it's like, you are not... But it's useless. Yeah. Like, that is, that is um, treating the symptom instead of treating the disease. So right. figuring out what a root cause is and how to, how to resolve it. Of note, in regards to the 2020 census, the National LGBTQ Task Force provided a really great resource that I'll link to in the um, class class notes. Uh, (laughs) Yikes. Oh, no. We're teaching a class. We've been teaching a class all along. It's totally not accredited. I'm sorry. Fuck. The National LGBTQ Task Force provides great resources regarding querying the census. Um, I know I've already gotten like three pieces of mail about the census. The collection takes place between March and April online by mail or by phone. 
this was totally new to me and it really shocked me. So if you don't fill out the census during that time, they send out enumerators and they come to your house and they sit with you basically and ask you the census questions. And that happens between April and July. But if the enumerators can't meet you, so let's say enumerators come between like, I don't know, nine and five and you work a nine to five or they come after work and you work a night shift and they can't meet up with you. They just fill out your information based on the statistics of your neighborhood. So for example, I live in a neighborhood of Bedside that has a lot of Hasidic Jewish families. And if you were to say, statistically speaking, who lives in this building, it would be a family of Hasidic Jewish people. That is not <laughs> the case. I, like it's me and my roommate and we both have like identities that are important to represent in the census. If you're getting any messaging about the census, please fill it out if you feel that you are able to do so safely. I know that there is fear about identifying if you're in a demographic that our current politicians hate. That's true. To put it lightly. Also, if you live outside of the United States, you are not able to fill out the census unless you get a VPN and change your IP address to a US address. It's very easy. A lot of VPNs offer trial services, so you can just sign up for the, like the 10 day free trial. Watch a little Hulu and fill out that census. <laughs> Annie, do you have a link we could include in the show notes about how to do that? Do you know of one? Oh yeah, I'll put a link to a good VPN in the, yeah, in the show notes. Just so anyone who doesn't live in the US can also participate. Yeah, I'll put one in right now. And also, I mean, I can't speak to how other countries are collecting data about their citizens, but you should look and see if you can participate. There's also studies that happen all the time at universities. And if you're a member of a minority population, you're all that much more likely to get picked. Sometimes they pay. Just, yeah, like do a search for your city and academic studies and see if anything comes up. It's a great way to help build those smaller scale data sets that unfortunately we're currently relying on. I wanted to talk a little bit about where the money to study sexuality comes from, because uh, it's really interesting. I mean, these studies are not cheap. You have to pay the researchers, you have to pay for whatever tools they're using, whatever software, um, you have to pay for you know, their little research assistants. Sometimes the uh, subjects you have to pay. Sometimes the subjects you have to pay if they're coming in and, you know, giving their time and data to you. A lot of money for studies of sexuality comes from phar pharmaceutical companies, which is, it makes sense when you think about it because pharmaceutical companies make so much money off of fertility drugs, off of male enhancement. Formants. <laughs> Enhancement <laughs> drugs. Just drugs that like keep you aroused or get you aroused or keep you from getting sexually transmitted diseases or keep you from getting pregnant or help you get pregnant. So they need to know why people feel sexual attraction biologically, what is happening when we're feeling sexual attraction, who they are having sex with. Just and not only for production of drugs per se, but they also need to know who to market those drugs for to. Marketing, so yeah. they need to know what gay men like, <laughs> because if they want to market a male performance drug to gay men, 
they need that data. They need to know that they're spending their money wisely. So pharmaceutical drugs are a big, uh, big spender when it comes to researching sexuality. The federal government, i.e. you, the taxpayer, also spends money researching <laughs> sexuality. Uh, after the HIV and AIDS crisis, became important to understand how, when, where, and why people are having sex um, so that we could track how sexual diseases are transmitted. Um, we discussed this in our politics episode, but these funds are actually being cut quite a bit, and it's often to disastrous, um, life-ending results. You know, pe people need to know this information because when we know the information, we can stop people from dying. Also, a lot of money comes from grants from universities and private institutions like the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. They study a lot of human sexuality, especially in third world countries. Uh, the Kinsey Institute at University of Indiana, Indiana University. <laughs> Should have looked that up. Fuck. Sorry, Kinsey. <laughs> oh, and also the, what's the Planned Parenthood's? Oh, it's the Foundation? International Planned Parenthood Federation. Mm -hmm. which is the nonprofit NGO. I can't remember if it's a nonprofit or a non-government organization, but it's basically Planned Parenthood is the clinic that provides direct services. IPPF provides research and funding for programs mm -hmm. and interventions. Yeah. yeah, generally these institutions have like a varying amount of funds um, and, they're, and they're researching lots of different things, but they are generally focused on improving public health uh, and studying sexual behavior and educating people to, you know, not transmit diseases, understand their sexuality better, live happier, healthier lives in general. Yeah. So these are the good guys. I mean, it's all good. All information is good, um, but the the private institutions and um, public universities that study sexuality are like. Yeah. For what it's worth, if you're interested in finding out about these areas of research or what organizations are taking part in them, or maybe you have a favorite kind of like broader NGO nonprofit that you like and you want to see if they're doing any work in this area, typically it's called sexual and reproductive health sometimes sexual and reproductive health and rights. So you can Google those, SRH, SRHR. There's some debate in the queer community about whether sexuality should be treated as a medical condition. Shri Eisner, who wrote the book Notes on a Bisexual Revolution, says that it should not. Uh, for a good reason. I mean, I think her point is that if, if we treat it as a medical condition, we are looking at, at it as something that could be cured, which is fucked up. Yeah. But Robin Ox, who we've also brought up as like a great bisexual scholar, says that, you know, it, it can be good to treat bisexuality as a medical condition because then we understand it better. So I don't know. There's, there's some debate there. If you have an opinion on this, please let us know because honestly, I see... I see both sides. Um, just interesting. There's also a lot of really terrible... I mean, we, we looked at some great studies for this episode. There's some really terrible shit out there. Yeah. <laughs> Especially from, like, mainstream uh, journalism. 
that kind of takes these studies. If you've ever looked at a, a study, like the actual study and the abstract of the study, and then looked at an article that was written about it for like the Guardian or wherever, you'll notice that like newspapers love to romanticize and I don't know, exaggerate Dumb what down. <laughs> study found. So there's some really terrible journalism out there. Uh, not all of it is bad, but like the headlines for some of this shit is terrible. I wanted to call out a Guardian article called Make Up Your Mind, The Science Behind Bisexuality, which I think is a satire article. I hope to God it is. Uh, there was a New York Post article called New Research Finds We're All Bisexual, which is just, it's like so snarky. Be good at your job. I don't know why it's so hard. The New York Times said, gay, straight, or lying? Bisexuality revisited. Time scientific study finds that bisexuality really exists. <laughs> Thanks. How Stuff Works has an article called, does science buy male bisexuality? Not a it's pun, like, even. It's not even a pun. You didn't even work the pun in, guys. It's right there. It was served up to you. Yeah. Yeah. So like these are all so clickbaity. So this is like I don't know. Like what Annie said, unfortunately, if you're looking for like cold hard facts and latest research, you do typically need to be looking at a direct source. Um so we have some resources for you. Um one option is if you listened to our part 2 episode on sex and sexual attraction. We talked to Eva Bloom of What's My Body Doing? And Eva, uh, if you give $3 a month to her Patreon, you will receive the bi-weekly newsletter that she puts together with the latest research and a really like in-depth but simple explanation of what the research says. So um, what was that news, that email newsletter that started coming out? a while ago it's like news for people who don't have time to read the headlines oh the skim the skim i interviewed for a job with them how did it go um, you're working there now <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's like that it's like the same kind of idea of any sort of newsletter roundup um so it's really it's very helpful, especially if you're not used to reading scientific papers. Um, so we'll put a link to her Patreon in the show notes. And then you can pay just a dollar fifty for an issue and get like the latest research on bisexuality. Do you want to go back and forth Sorry. on this or should should I just read through? I don't know if you added any. I did add a few. I didn't add this one, but I'll say it. The Journal of Bisexuality. Uh, it's out there. There's a journal. We'll have a link to it because it's, it's fucking cool. <laughs> yeah, one thing that's kind of a bummer is that you might need to have um, a login to access some of these things. Mm. So if you're like, shit, I see this title that looks really interesting. Take the title to Google, see if you can find it somewhere. Maybe take it to Reddit and see if somebody will download the PDF of the article Ooh. for you. I don't know yeah. if there's a subreddit for that. And if there's not, there really should be. Email us. Also some, yeah, email I'll us. I'll download we'll it for you. Logins. <laughs> um, if you email the the author of the paper, they'll usually just give you a copy. So 
there's also that. There is an article called... Uh, yeah, a, pap- a paper. A paper called Genetics and Bisexuality in Nature. I didn't read this. Maybe we shouldn't have gone back and forth. Maybe this was a mistake. The That, that article was... I cited it a bunch. The reason I... Um, put it in there was because I looked at it a lot when I was talking about how we measure sexuality uh, in ourselves and other species. So that's a good one if you want to learn more about that. Uh, I can go through these because these were the ones that I looked at. There's also a, a good article. It's not a trash article in National Geographic called Homosexuality or Homosexual Activity Among Animals Stirs Debate. So that's one where like the problem with the 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 like articles from New York Post and The Guardian are that if you are having an argument with like a relative or you know someone who doesn't think queerness is real they're going to see those articles and be like, "Ugh, I feel seen cuz these articles are also debating the existence of bisexuality whereas these scientific papers it's never up for debate." You know, they have found that bisexuality exists. They are simply studying it. Um, So, yeah, (laughs) that's why those are good. There's another paper in Scientific American that's great and very readable uh, called Bisexual Species, Unorthodox Sex in the Animal Kingdom. I looked at that a lot when I was looking at uh, the the other animals that are bisexual. Uh, I looked at the... APA, which is the American Psychological Association's landing page, Understanding Bisexuality. And they have a kind of um, nice list about some of their resources, organizations that have a specific focus on or include bisexuality. And this is the list that uh, has a specific focus on bisexuality, some of which we have talked about before in the past. Um, First is the American Institute of Bisexuality, which encourages, supports, and assists research and education about bisexuality through programs likely to make a material difference and enhance public knowledge, awareness, and understanding about bisexuality. BiNet USA is America's oldest advocacy organization for bisexual, pansexual, fluid, and queer-identified and unlabeled people. It facilitates the development of a cohesive network of independent bisexual and bi-friendly communities, promoting bisexuals and bi-inclusive visibility. It also collects and distributes educational information regarding sexual orientation, gender identity, with an emphasis on bisexual, pansexual, and fluid communities. Bisexual.org is a project meant to introduce bisexual community to the world and give voice to the bisexual community, sharing accurate information, answering questions, providing educational resources, and it's a valuable resource for investigating bisexuality, either to understand your own sexuality or to understand a loved one or just if you like to learn. My Bising Stars one week was two people who had founded... Um, a bisexual research conference, which I yeah I remember yeah I forgot to include on here, so maybe I can include them in the show notes. My bad. Um, it's okay. There's the Bisexual Resource Center, which organizes. It's an organization that basically provides a bunch of resources for bisexual people <laughs> who are either questioning or if you're curious about what bisexuality means. By Visibility Day, which you know is September 23rd, uh, and it helps to celebrate bisexual community and highlight biphobia. Yeah, really good resources. <sighs> Go check them out. We'll include links to everything. 
The show notes I'm getting limited on, so we might have to start linking to a Google Doc for uh, our references because the character limit is sneaking up on me. Yeah, yeah, we can do that. Well, let's uh, let's talk bylights. Bylights. So on TV show The Bold Type. One of the main characters, Kat, came out as bisexual or just there was an episode, the most recent episode, focusing on her bisexuality and that it was seen as invalid and invisible because she was in a relationship with a man. Um, So kind of just highlighting some bi erasure that occurs. This is like a whole run on TV. Uh, Netflix's new dating show, Love is Blind, where people do not see their partners. Um, one of the men came out as bisexual and the person that he was seeing, the woman that he was seeing had a pretty biphobic response. Um, and then there's been a lot of backlash. Uh, so he posted online and said, thanks for the three of y'all who supported me in this. I feel alone and I don't want any of this life anymore. I'm fighting alone and it hurts. Um, it's a good time to remind queer people that we're all at a higher risk. Well, I guess remind everybody that queer people are at a higher risk of mental health issues and suicide. So please reach out to your community. And also, if you're feeling helpless, call the National Suicide Hotline. That number is 1-800-273-8255. I haven't watched Love is Blind yet, but it's next on my it's next on my list. I'm going to watch it. I'm really on a reality TV binge right now. Yeah. For better or worse. <laughs> Um, I also have not seen High Fidelity, although I, I don't know if it's, is it like a remake of a movie? It's Did a, you ever see that movie? Yeah. Yes. I realize how misogynist that movie is, but I love that movie. <laughs> like, I love that movie. Um, yeah. It's the movie that I watched when I was like packing up to leave for college and like nice. throwing away all like, my old uh, stuff. But I like Jack Black. Yeah. He's a funny, he's, funny. he's a funny boy. Uh, anyways, they remade it into a TV show for Hulu, um, and Zoe Kravitz is a hot bisexual mess in it, and apparently very good. Yeah, so it's uh, it's basically a reboot where Zoe Kravitz plays the role as it was played by John Cusack. So Brigham Young University a few months ago changed their honor code. The honor code is like the um, student conduct. It's I don't I think every school has an honor code but at BYU the honor code is like a it's like a big deal um you would probably have to get a Mormon or a BYU alum to come on and like explain how big of a deal it is but I know it's a big deal uh and they changed the honor code to be more inclusive of queer people a few months ago and then the Mormon church came out and said hey you can't do that because we don't like gay people actually or queer people Um, Which disappointed a lot of queer students, obviously, at BYU. They thought they were going to be a little more free to express themselves, and then it all got fucked up. So, yeah, students at BYU are disgusted. They, biathlete Emma Green, or Emma G, says that the removal of homosexual, the the homosexual behavior provision um, has not made it easier to be at BYU. So... It sucks. It sucks that uh, they got a glimmer of hope and then had it taken away. 
I feel like you know more about Mulan than I do. <laughs> I doubt it. Oh, I thought you would know Mulan because you love uh, like gender swapping stories. Oh, uh, it's true. I do like, yeah, I do like those stories. So I'm going to, okay, this is a caveat. I've only seen certain parts of Mulan. Oh, you haven't seen Mulan. Oftentimes fueled by a lot of red wine. Um, <laughs> the only thing I know about Mulan really is let's get down to business. The, the best song. The best song. I feel like I don't need to know anymore. Um, but Mulan producers have said that they are axing the bisexual character from the live action remake. Um, so in the original Mulan, Li Shang falls in love with Mulan after she enters the army disguised as a man. Um, it's never confirmed for sure by Disney that he is a bisexual character, but he's always been claimed by the uh, queer community. And in 2018, they announced that that character would not be in the live action Mulan. The producer, Jason Reed, said that they split this kind of character into a new army army superior, Commander Tung, and a new soldier love interest, Chang Hong Hu. And they said that because they felt the commanding officer, it was like a weird power dynamic for a romance to occur. Which I would be interested to know. If anyone knows Mulan, please let me know. Like, doesn't that just mean that uh, her new love interest, Soldier Pierre, will be the new bisexual character? Um, or is there something about um, Li Shang that is more robustly bisexual that might where yeah. that we fear will be left out? I I would also be curious to know that, I, and I think it's one of those things that like we won't really know too much about this until we see Mulan and see if it's like something we should actually be offended about, or if this is just a bunch of like <laughs> trying to get more articles. Trying to get queer eyes yeah. on articles so that they'll go see Mulan that will go hate watch it. Yeah, exactly. Not exactly. A, you know, not a bad uh not a bad tactic. Disney has been um has been reversing some decisions about queer visibility lately that have upset me a lot. So I wouldn't be surprised, but like Is I heard I that there know. is a queer character in Onward, but I have not seen Onward. I'm so pissed about that. I can't even talk about I it. I don't know anything about it. They keep doing this shit where it's like, yeah, we have a queer character. And then there's like two seconds of like supposed queer activity. And then it's like Beauty whatever. and the Beast. I, I didn't see Beauty and the Beast. Oh, the, what, is, what happened? To the that live one? action remake of Beauty and the Beast. So there's like Gaston and the shorter person who's a big fan of Gaston, who's like Gaston's best friend, but also is like clearly in love with Gaston. And they have him at the end of the live action dancing with a man at the, like, ball. And they're like, get it? Disney is a bunch of cowards. I'll say it right now. I'm, I'm just pretty pissed off that Elsa didn't get to, like, I want to see, down. like, full on going down <laughs> on a chick. I think the kids are ready for it. Um. Actually, that's why I think this next item is very funny. Sony reportedly wants a bisexual Spider-Man in an upcoming movie. Spider-Man was 
previously a Disney property. Before that, it was Sony property. Sony decided they wanted it back. I think that Sony is saying this because they want to be like, fuck you to Disney. We're not cowards. And I support it. I love it. Also, if you haven't looked up the Biterman memes, man, they're excellent. And I feel like when we talked about representation, a lot of people said Peter Parker is definitely bisexual. So this is, I think it's canon and I think it's time it gets represented. If we want to talk about superheroes movies doing a great job of like having an out bisexual character, Deadpool is a great example. He's like very outwardly attracted to men in the movies i feel like we should have ended on spider-man being bi (laughs) because we're gonna we're gonna slump down again um so after coming out as bisexual the winner of miss staten island uh is banned from the saint patrick's day parade in staten island that was this past weekend um she came out and said that she was going to wear a rainbow flag because historically Staten Island has presented prevented the LGBTQ population from having any space in the St. Patrick's Day Parade. Um, I'm pretty sure Ireland and Irish culture is not super warm towards the LGBTQ community. So uh, that is... Catholicism. Yeah. Kind of a bummer. Yeah. Um, And Jamila Jamal, who people might know from The Good Place, uh, came out and said that she has always identified as queer, specifically bisexual. um, And a lot of people were like, (laughs) yeah, right. Like, have no evidence of that, basically. Um, And kind of said that because there's no evidence of her being in a relationship with a woman that she must be kind of like saying she's queer to get queer eyes and attention and accolades. Um, Which sucks because as we all know, you can be bisexual and never have done anything with anyone. Yeah, this sucks to see. I hate to see the queer community lashing out at one of its own. Uh, doesn't make us look good. So don't do this, please. Yeah. If somebody says they're bisexual, be like, cool, thank you for sharing that with me. Yeah, definitely. Okay, Bising Stars. Who's your Bising Star this week? My Bising Star this week is Isabel Ott, a bisexual virologist, which I had to look up, is microborne virus evolution, um, who started the hashtag buy inside. Uh, to raise the visibility of bisexuals who work in science and research. Um, we'll include a link to their Twitter bio. And if you're bi and sci, hit us up. Tell us what you think of this episode, of all episodes, what it's like to work in a STEM field. Just uh, let us know. We'd love to hear. Very curious. Our, our uh, email is hellogoodbyes42069 at gmail.com. The most scientific email address of them all. It has the two most important data points at the end of it. So, <laughs> um, I wanted to shout out the Bising Stars uh, at L- LGBTQ2S plus, plus Health in Toronto, Ontario. The whole team are queer identified people who research queer health issues. 
um, and they've done some great studies about sexual health, uh, sexual violence, um, attitudes towards people of varying sexualities, down to like very nitty gritty subjects like midwifery for queer people, um, discrimination of transgender and intersex youth in the binary world, uh, recommendations for gender diverse care um, of the elderly in specific countries. Like they really study very specific things uh, and it's really interesting research. So the whole crew there at researching for LGBTQ2S plus health in Toronto, great work. Love that. I was just looking at their website. They look really cool. Do you need any advice? I do need advice, yes, because we had someone write in a long time ago, and I'm so sorry that <laughs> I'm only getting back to you now. But uh, Jay wrote in. Congrats, Jay, on coming out, by the way. Yay. Um, they wanted to know, is there a good way of dealing with unwanted or excessive romantic or sexual attraction? They said, uh, I think women deal with this much more for men, but we buys whatever our gender potentially deal with it more than anyone because if we're out, then we can be considered fair game to twice as many people. Um, and that's exacerbated by the stereotype of like the horny bi, the, the slutty bi. Um, the tricky thing is I don't want to prevent such attention outright, but I get enough that it's sometimes overwhelming. It puts me in frequent dilemmas about how to deal with people kindly, but clearly. So Jay wanted to know how to deal with that very concisely, politely, but like, no, I, I'm not interested. Thank you. Um, if there's a good way to do that. And also what are things that you should definitely not do if you don't want to lead people on? So what, what shouldn't I do if I'm not interested in someone? How should I let them know? without like ever having to have a conversation about it with with them ideally um and are there different nuances for different gender combinations of pursuing people and being pursued by people which is a great question yeah i don't know i i also don't know it's a great that's a great question yeah especially um i feel like it's easy if you're in a monogamous relationship because then you can just be like i'm in a relationship and people are like cool Otherwise, yeah, how do you how do you draw the line of I'm trying to be friends versus I am trying to? Yeah. Yeah, and again, we'd all like to be able to do this without having to have any kind of confrontational conversation about it. I have the perfect solution. Okay, yeah, let me hear Do you it. know what Brazilian steakhouse is when you have the red or the green chip and you flip it? Like, it's green if you're still interested. Like, all I can eat, keep it coming. And then when you're yeah. getting full, just flip that over to red. Yep. So there you go. Like, or you could have a yellow where it's like only some of you. <laughs> <laughs> you decide. You know. You know. You know which one. You know. When you came over to talk, I could be like, Red for friendship. Thanks, pal. Yeah. 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 So just use the chip. Use the chip. Just set, always have that on you. I would say, though, in regards to this, if you're talking to somebody and you're thinking we're getting to be friends and they 
get to a point where they're like, okay, what's up? And you're like, oh, I'm sorry. I'm interested in being your friend. And they're not like, okay, cool. Let's be friends. Like you dodged a bullet. You don't want to be friends with that person and you don't want to be more than friends with that person. If somebody gets mad at you for not being into them, that's not a stable reaction. Yeah, run away. Yeah. Yeah, if you uh, if you tell someone that you just want to be friends and they react poorly, that's a big old red flag. You do not owe them anything, not even friendship. Honestly, at a certain point, not even like cordiality. Yeah. Yep. Any call for advice from you, Man. Rose? Um, I I guess I might have asked this before, but we were I had a team retreat for work. And uh, we had to do, like, a lightning round, ask everybody a question, like, go one-on-one, and you had to, like, ask a question of the person. They asked a question of you, and then you moved on to the, to another person, and it was, like, a mm-hmm. whatever. And somebody asked, like, what's something about you that people often misunderstand? And I was, mm. like, bisexuality. But I was also, like, oh, is, is this, like, an inappropriate topic to talk about at work? So I guess kind of like being out and in what capacity because like people at work know that I have a girlfriend. Um, Shout out to my boss who just found out I have a podcast. (laughs) Nice. (laughs) Uh, But like how do you you navigate that situation? Um, Is it sharing too much? Is it not oversharing and I shouldn't even think about it? Like – where how do how do other people navigate if you feel comfortable being out in your workplace like how do people do that i don't know yeah Yeah, if you're a bisexual 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 (laughs) if you're a bisexual who is out at work and it went really well please email us at hello goodbyes for 2069 and tell us what your secret is yeah should i just plaster my cubicle with bi pride material there you go that'll do and it people will be like what's that'll this about all right should we sign should we sign off yeah <gasps> good bye from the good goodbyes Wow, we didn't even do a countdown. That was crazy. I know, we went totally well. I feel like it worked perfectly, though, right? Yeah. Yeah. I think it worked. This podcast is based exclusively on the real-life experiences of two bisexual cis women and their internet research. Sexual identity is deeply personal and influenced by intersecting identities, demographics, and circumstances. Rose and Annie do not speak for the bisexual experience of all individuals or the bisexual experience as a whole. In short, they don't know shit. Thanks for listening.